So this is lesson 158 of the study of Hebrews. <laughs> Actually, it's 28. And it finds us in chapter 10. With chapter 10, the writer of Hebrews begins with something that I've always found amazing, and it drove me to study the Torah with a new understanding, a new light. It says, the law is a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the reality themselves. Isn't that amazing that the whole of the Torah is a shadow of the good things that are coming? Think about it. Moses had to make a copy of the tabernacle in heaven. And as a copy, it too was a shadow of the true tabernacle. The Torah itself is a shadow of the good things that are coming. The Messiah and the kingdom of heaven are the reality of those shadows. And I want to look at this concept of shadow today. And as we do, remember, Yeshua came to cast light on the shadow that the Torah is. The light Yeshua began, with that light Yeshua began to illuminate the shadows of the Torah, showing its substance. That's why people were amazed at his Torah teachings, because the reality was different from the shadow. Right away, when you read this, we should be thinking, if the Torah is a shadow and an outline then, what is the reality? When you start to read the Torah that way, you know, you come up with some interesting things. What's casting the shadow? Well, the law of God is telling us how he wants us to live, how he wanted Israel to live, right? It's telling us how we are to live. So the reality of that must be life in the kingdom, right? The kingdom of heaven. See, if the Torah is a shadow, then the reality must be life in the kingdom, the Torah is a shadow of how God would have us live in his kingdom and how those in his kingdom live. Just as the tabernacle on earth was a copy, a shadow of the reality of the tabernacle in heaven. So the Torah or the law, if that's your preference, is life in the kingdom of Israel, a kingdom where God ruled on earth. He had his dwelling there. And it's a shadow of the reality of the kingdom of heaven where he truly rules. If you can understand that, you can understand why people were so amazed at Yeshua's teachings. And so the Torah is a shadow of life in the kingdom. But get this, since we are members of the kingdom already, because the book of Hebrews tells us, today, if you hear his voice, right? And so if we are members of the kingdom, and since we have Yeshua living and dwelling us, we should be living, we should not be living in the shadows, but we should come out of the shadows and walk in the light, live in the reality of the Torah, as Yeshua did. That's the essence of Yeshua's message on the mount. Over and over he says, you've heard it said, that's the shadow. But I say unto you, that's the reality. The reality is what we are to be living today as members of the kingdom. He says, you've heard it said, thou shalt not commit adultery. That's the shadow. And in the shadow is don't lay with another man's wife. The reality is if you look at another woman lustfully, you've already committed adultery with her in your heart. God is concerned with our actions, true, but the reality is he's more concerned with our heart. The hearts of the people. He has to live with what's in your heart, not just your actions. Because he sees it. 
Now, all of that said, I said all of that so that we could talk about what's real and what is a shadow, what's real, what is just an illusion, what's real, and what's passing away. And there's a way that I can explain this. I've always felt it real simple because it's the same principle. Um, it happens in Colossians. It says in Colossians, it says, Therefore, don't let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are shadows of things to come. The reality, however, is found in Messiah. You see, Paul is telling us the same thing here. We are told in this verse that the festivals of the Lord, which are in the Torah, are shadows, and the reality of those shadows is found in Messiah. In other words, Messiah is the reality. Very similar to what was said of the Torah. It's a shadow of the good things that are coming. And by that, he means, of course, the coming age. So, the way I like to teach this concept is that the Passover was a shadow of the Messiah. And, what it's, and this is what the verse is saying that all of the Passover lambs were just were a shadow. Israel coming up out of Egypt was a shadow. Messiah is the reality. He died on Passover. He died at the same time they were killing the lambs. He's our Passover lamb. And because of him, we're led out of spiritual Egypt. The point is, though, before Messiah came, no one really understood the meaning of Passover. Just as with a shadow... Its details can't be understood. If it's a shadow of a man, you and you see only the shadow, you can't tell if it's a black man, a white man, an oriental man, a European man. Not until you see the actual substance that's casting the shadow can you tell these things. Can you see these things? Well, with the Passover lamb, you couldn't understand. It was a shadow until Messiah, until the reality came into view. Then you could see the substance, right? Well, that's what the writer of Hebrews is telling us about the whole of the Torah. The story about Israel entering into covenant with God is a shadow of the reality. And you need to look past the shadow to see what's casting the shadow to truly understand. The Torah describes a covenant with God and Moses as the mediator of that covenant. That's the shadow. The reality is you must enter into a covenant relationship with God through Messiah Yeshua. The one like Moses. Moses foreshadowed the true mediator. Deuteronomy chapter 18 tells us that just as Israel had to listen to Moses or God would, uh, wouldn't go well for them, they had to suffer some consequences, so too, he tells us, if we don't listen to Yeshua, the one like Moses, God will require it of us because he's the true mediator. He speaks the very words of God. But then there's more. Just as God took Israel to Sinai and asked to speak to the people directly, and he did. He wanted the people to hear his voice directly. That was a shadow. The reality of the shadow is that he wants to know you personally, directly. He doesn't want to write his Torah for you in a book. He wants to write it on your heart. Speak to your heart directly. And yes, Moses foretold the people, here's the reason. The reason is that you will come to fear the Lord your God. Get this if you don't get anything else today. Just as the people said, no, Moses, you speak to God for us and we'll listen. That's a shadow. The reality is we all have to come to that choice. 
Are you going to allow man to determine your relationship with God as they did chose Moses to represent them? Or are you going to get past the fears and say, Lord, I want to know you. And yes, it's fearful. Because it's one thing not to obey man and it's quite another thing to hear God and not obey him. Now, the Torah is a shadow of life in the kingdom. So if you go into the Torah, if you go into a Torah-observant community and you look at the people there, you're going to see, or at least you should see, an outline of life in the kingdom of heaven. Now, I want you to think about something. What is the rest of the world then? Right? If you go into a place that's not Torah observant, what do you see there? Well, I can tell you it's not a shadow of the kingdom. In fact, I can tell you that it's not even real. There's a midrash, an ancient story that begins to explain this. And this one's a little far-fetched, but I love it because it's so true. And it lines up with what Yeshua said. The first part of it's a little, and it goes like this. He was sick and had an out-of-body experience whereby the soul briefly leaves the body and then returns. His father asked him, what did you see in your out-of-body state? And he replied, I saw a topsy-turvy world. Those that were on top in this world, respected for their wealth and power, are at the bottom in the world to come. And those who are at the bottom in this world, poor and downtrodden, are at the top. And his father told him, you didn't see an upside-down world but an unconfused and sensible world. You see, when you are out in the world, it may seem real, it may seem tangible, but it's not reality at all. And really, what is in the world isn't, isn't even a shadow of what's real. The world that we live in isn't even a shadow of what the kingdom of heaven is like. If anything, like the Midrash said, it's quite opposite. And so what we see in the world is not reality. It's even, not even a shadow. It's just something that's going to be fading away. It's not lasting. It's not reality. And I stumbled on this concept when studying the parables. It lines up perfectly with Yeshua's teachings. He says things like, In the kingdom, the first will be last. In the last will be first. He's saying what the Midrash says, that the kingdom of heaven is topsy-turvy from this world. And there, the last are first, and the first are last. In other words, it's quite opposite of what we see in this life. The problem is, this world is so tangible, we touch it, it's always in our face, that we start to believe the lie. And think of it as reality. And when you start to Apply this concept to the Bible, you see that it is in fact exactly true. The people of Israel were deceived in the same way. They were waiting for King Messiah to come. And he would be a strong military leader who would send the Romans packing back to Rome. That's what their senses told them must happen as they looked around. That's what they saw in scriptures as they studied. That's what they read into the scriptures as they studied. They saw passages about God ruling and defeating Israel's adversaries. And they looked at the world around them and said, this is what's going to happen. This was what must happen. Everything they told them, everything they saw, said this must be true, this must happen. But in reality, that's not what happened. And in fact, just the opposite happened. God, from his kingdom, sends his son, who wins the victory, not through might, not, but through the frailty of his life. He dies the death of a criminal to defeat the true criminal. 
He dies at the hands of the rulers of this age to send the rulers of this age to their deaths. He wins a victory, an eternal victory, while appearing to all the world to have lost. And therefore, he couldn't be the Messiah because he died. Well, when you start to apply this to life, you're going to find comfort for your soul. You see, we miss this. We look around us and we're so tuned into our physical selves that this world starts to become our reality. But it's not real. It's just an illusion. It's without reality. The essence of faith is to keep your eyes on God and what is real and not on the illusion that's around you. You see, that's the greatest adversary to our faith is that we live in a world that is but an illusion, but it's such a good illusion, it starts to seem real. What you see each and every day is not real. Do you know that? If you're part of God's kingdom, let's put it this way. If you're part of God's kingdom, what you see is not what you get. You know, Solomon, at the end of his life, comes into this realization. And he looks back at his life, and by all the standards of this world, he, it was a great life, filled with everything in this life that this life could offer. And yet, at the end, when he realizes this, he says this in Ecclesiastes chapter 2 and 10, I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my work. And this was the reward for all my labor. Yet, when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless, chasing after the wind, nothing gained under the sun. The Hebrew word for meaningless there means vain or vanity. It comes from a root word that means to be deceived. Solomon looks at his life with all his amazing achievements and all that he had done and built, the temple of God and everything else. And he said, it's vanity. It's deception. He spent his life chasing after wind, a deception. And there's two major events in my life that pointed this up to me. And they both involved death. The first was a woman who was a member of the community and she really was a dear friend and the reason I cared for her so much is she was so serious about God, right? About knowing him and when people are serious about God, I like them. Anyway, she got very sick and although we prayed and prayed for her to return to health and there was even a few hopeful moments when it seemed like God was answering and she was going to recover, after about a year, she passed on, and it looked as if our prayers were not answered. We've all had that happen to us, right? You pray, you pray for healing, you pray for this, you pray for that, and it seems as if heaven's gates are closed for the day, even though we know the gates of heaven never close to our prayers. Well, the other was a young boy in Duluth who had been sick all of his life with a disease that not only takes your life early, but it leaves you horribly deformed. And he had lived with this disease for his entire life, 20 some odd years, 20 years of being this deformed little guy, 20 years of praying for healing, 20 years of hoping that God would intervene, and then after 20 years, he dies. Now, 
In each case, we're left with the loss of those people. They're no longer with us. We look at it as a battle lost. Prayer's not answered. And yet that's not the reality of the situation. That's only how things appear to be. But the reality is that both of these folks are with the Holy One in the fullness of the kingdom of heaven. They didn't die. They passed from this illusion to what's real. But we're left with the illusion of their death when in fact the opposite is quite true. We saw them enter into life that is life. The reality is that what was only going to end up to be ashes and dust had the Spirit of God breathed into it and it became a living soul for eternity. And if you look at those two with kingdom eyes, you never saw sickness. You saw perfection that God saw. Let me just explain that to you. Your young man, that young man, Eric, the young man, came to Beth Yeshua and he was there for about a year and he began to study Torah and he learned Hebrew in the last year of his life. And I want to say, when you're, when you're, when you're, when you're, when you're deformed and you, you have trouble walking and this and that, you've got a lot of time to study. And he studied Hebrew until people would go to him with questions about the Hebrew language instead of me. Well, that's not a big achievement, but... <laughs> he studied Hebrew roots and Torah to the degree that in the last days of his life, when he was in the hospital, he had a Hebrew doctor that cared for him. And he read him the Torah portion on the day before he died. Because he couldn't read it any longer. And on the day he died, he had so much respect for the heart of this young man, for his love for God, and for his Gentile or gentle Messiah-like life, that this Jewish doctor came in and read Kaddish over the boy. You see, when those living in the illusion saw the life of Eric, they saw a young man horribly deformed and disfigured and on his deathbed soon to be no more. The reality of the situation was this young man was pursuing perfection. And he attained a state of perfection so perfect that he was able to accomplish the call of each of us. According to Paul in Romans, to bring a Jewish person to jealousy. In what appeared to be his weakest moment, the last moments of his life, he accomplished what we hope to accomplish in life. What we hope to accomplish in St. Louis Park, God willing. He was a young man who knew what was real and what was not. Suffering uh, Suffering and the illness was not his reality. The reality had become the kingdom of God for him. And some would say, well, why didn't God heal him? Why didn't God save him? And I would say, when you see the reality of the situation, you will see that God did heal him, and he did save him. If you could look past the illusion that we see for a moment. Folks, we got to stop living in the shadows. we got to step out of the shadows, let them stop being our reality, and get into the light that Yeshua cast. Amen? You know, there's a great example of this in the Torah, the life of Abraham. Abraham was a man who was able to see past the illusion to reality and then apply it to his life. He was sent to offer his only son Isaac, and everything told him if he put his knife to his son's throat, he would die. And if he put him on that fire, he would be ashes. 
But Abraham ignored the illusion that was before him and focused on the reality. And the reality was he served God, the creator of life, and that if he offered his son, the, then God, who created man from dust, was able to breathe life into those ashes and raise his son to live again. Amen? He knew that because Abraham, seeing reality, saw that God was even able to resurrect ashes from a burnt offering that he was about to become. He knew that he would because the Lord had told him, it's through Isaac that your offspring is going to be reckoned. And so he reasoned that God could resurrect the dead even from a pile of ashes. You see, when you stop living in the shadows and you start walking in the light, you start to see some amazing things. And we need to step out of the shadows and begin to see the wonder of God, the wonder of living in this kingdom of his. The problem is we get glimpses of this like I just gave you. But what happens is then the illusion rushes in and begins to erase what we saw, the reality, almost immediately. The illusion tells you that you can't measure up to the standards of Torah. The world tells you that you're worthless and less than nothing and you cannot and you do not deserve to have a relationship with the living God. The reality is he loves you so much that he sent his son to restore you into his presence so he could have a relationship with you. Other believers even try and tell you that God doesn't interact with his people. The reality is that God is ever present and he wants to speak to you. The reality is that God loves you as you are. The fact is, he loved you when you were in worse shape than you are now. The fact is, now he, he loved you before Yeshua cleaned you up. How much more does he love you now that you're starting to look like his son? Imagine the value that God places upon you that he would send his son to offer himself as a sin offering for you. What does the word for offering mean again? The Hebrew word, it's korban. Remember, it means to draw near. He sent Yeshua so that you might draw near to him, that, he might, that you might feel the warmth of his loving embrace and that he might come to know you and speak to you and you might come to know him and speak to him. Amen? The illusion says that God is not actively involved in your life and the reality is that the people are so caught up in the illusion that they don't see God at work in their lives. The illusion is that our loved one just died. The reality is they had the Spirit of God breathed into them and they're really alive. Amen? The illusion says cling to your money. You have to have it to take care of yourself. The reality is Give to ease the discomfort of your neighbor because God is our supplier and rewarder and he'll give you more so that you can give more. The illusion says God doesn't speak to people or heal his people or empower his people any longer. The reality is God wants you to hear his voice today. The illusion is we have to be strong, right? We have to be this wonderful orator, this good preacher. We have to be the best guitarist, the best pianist, the best drummer and singers so to have our praises heard, to be a powerful worship team. We have to strive in this life. We have to be this. We have to be that. The reality is we have to rest in God. We have to enter into his rest. And once you lay these things down and rest, then all of these things will be added to you. 
Wait on and rest in God and you will be a powerful preacher because the power of God will be in your words. Rest in God and you'll be a powerful worshiper even if you're the only one up on stage because when you open up your mouth, God will come and his angels will join in with you if nothing else. The illusion is to strive in this life when you need to rest in God and let him take care of the giants in the land. Almost every given instance in this life, the reality is opposite of what thing, that what, uh, the opposite of what things appear to be. Our response should be the opposite of what our inclination would be. You see, the reality is what faith is and acting out faith is. Faith is taking your eyes off of this life and off of this illusion and focusing on God and the reality of his kingdom. Listen to the words of the master. He says in this Mark chapter 33, or chapter 9, verse 33, he says, they came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, what are you arguing about on the road? But they kept quiet because on the way they had argued about who was the greatest. And sitting down, Yeshua called the twelve and said, If anyone wants to be first, then he must be the very last and servant of all. And he took a little child and had him stand among them. Taking him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever, become, whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. You see... There's our topsy-turvy world again. If you want to be first, then you must become last. Moses, you know, we're told Moses was the humblest man on the face of the earth. But, you know, when we look at our definition of the word humble, what do we think of? We think of Moses as being lower in dignity. These are some, of the, these are some synonyms for, for uh, humility. We think of abased, degraded. Debased, humiliated. However, if you look at the life of Moses, you see a man who tells Korah that the earth will open up and swallow him. And guess what? It does. You see a man who when the people disobey him, bad things happen to them. And you think, how can, how can he be humble? Well, he can be. And he is because he humbly only spoke the word of God. And so when you confronted him, you were actually confronting God. And bad things did happen to you. The shadow says we have to be powerful, mighty. The reality is we have to be so humble that we don't even speak our own words and act on our own behalf. But we only speak and act as the Holy One of Israel would have us act. That's true humility. Now listen to the definition of illusion. A misleading image that's presented to the vision. That's why the deception is so great because we rely on our eyes and the things that we see. It says a pattern of capable, reversible perspective. Something that deceives or misleads intellectually. The world is intellectually deceived. The perception of things in this age are a misrepresentation of the actual state of things. In fact, like it says, a pattern of reversible perspective. 
As our ancient, as our ancient story said, the kingdom of heaven is a topsy-turvy world. And as Solomon said, everything was meaningless. Vanity, a deception, a chasing after the wind. Let me put it simply again. What you see in this world is not what you get. What is real is God's kingdom. And listen to the definition of reality. Something that is neither a derivative nor dependent but exists necessarily. The world is an illusion. It's dependent on the mercy of God. The reality is God and his Messiah and their kingdom is not a derivative. It's not dependent, but it's the real thing. And it exists. I want to challenge us today to step out of the shadows of the Torah and walk in the light of the gospel. Step out of this illusion of this world and understand that things are really opposite of what we see. And as we anticipate our move to St. Louis Park, God willing, let us become servants of all. Who are, how many is all? All, that's right. And let's be such witnesses and lights, such reflections of the Messiah in St. Louis Park, such servants that Jew and Gentile alike will have to respond to us. Amen? And let's have faith for, what reality, for the reality and let's begin to believe for the reality of things and not look at the appearance of things. Amen?